You're listening to a Mamma Mia podcast. Just a heads up, this is a new interview that I've done in the last couple of weeks with Sam Bloom. Our original No Filter interview, because this is the second time we've spoken, we popped that back into your feed a couple of days ago. So if you want to listen to that one first, just hit pause and scroll back to the episode before this one. It's very very different. It's not really part one and part two. This episode will still make sense to you if you haven't heard that one, but it's just really interesting and there's kind of more of the story. Okay, here's the show. How are you guys? I'm good. Oh, I'm good. Can you get the chook out? Oh, Sorry. It, you don't have to in. get the chook out. Leave the chook in. No, the chook no. poos everywhere. Chook I love a chook. Chook's a pain in the butt. I love the way. <laughs> Come on, get out. We're doing something. Are you ready to rock and roll? Uh huh. Yep. Bye, Cam. In 2014, I met a woman who was in a really terrible place. I didn't want to be alive. Gosh, I think the first year, all I wanted to do was die. A year earlier, Samantha Bloom had been on holidays in Thailand when the balcony she was standing on suddenly collapsed. Sam fell 20 feet and crashed onto the blue tiles below. Her three young sons, they were there and they saw the whole thing. Sam survived that fall, but for a while she wished she hadn't. The accident left her paralysed from the chest down. And it's hard to overstate how active Sam was before that accident. She lived by the beach and she and her husband Cam and their three boys, they were constantly surfing and running and bushwalking. Sam was really sporty. And then in the aftermath of her accident, she wasn't. If I have a dream, I'm always running around. I'm always surfing, I'm running along the beach. I'm me, I'm the old me. And then when you wake up, that's like when the nightmare starts. Sam's life did eventually start to turn around. The Blooms adopted an injured magpie named Penguin and that little bird changed everything for Sam and her family. The story of Penguin and the Blooms first became a book and now a movie starring Naomi Watts. And the movie is just part of this new chapter in Sam's story. A lot has changed for Sam since I last spoke to her in 2016. And if you haven't heard that episode, scroll back and have a listen. This is an extraordinary tale of tragedy and resilience. Here's Sam Bloom. So the first time I met you was about a year after the accident and you were not in a great place mentally, uh-uh. physically, emotionally, mentally. No. You, were, you looked kind of haunted well, you tell me how you felt a year after the accident. Yeah, God, I was devastated still. Like overwhelmed, I guess you could say. Overwhelmed with my new reality, which I did not like. And I found it hard because, you know, everyone would go, oh, how are you? And I had nothing to say. And it was kind of like, yeah, I'm fine, but I don't do anything. So, yeah, that was tricky. You seemed like kind of hollowed out. Yeah. And it's like everyone was looking for you to say... I'm so grateful to be alive. Is that what you felt that everyone wanted from you? Yeah. I had to put on like this brave face, you know? Yeah. Yeah. But I didn't feel brave and I was just angry and sad all the time. But I had to put on the brave face for the kids, you know? I couldn't go around moping all the time, even though I kind of did. But yeah, no, that was hard. I think the first couple of years were the worst. 
by far. Yeah, I came to your house and chatted with you and Cam mm. and you just, you looked a bit like you didn't want to be alive. Would no, that I be fair to I say? Didn't. Totally, 100% fair to say. Yeah. I didn't want to be alive. Gosh, I think the first year all I wanted to do was die. Yeah. And could you say that? to Cam and to anyone around you, your family? Uh, yeah, I, I would never say it to my mum. I probably never said it to my sister, but I think she knew it. Um, oh, the kids sort of knew that, that I felt like that, which is pretty bad because, you know, they used to go, oh, you know, do you still want to die? Do you still want to kill yourself? I'm like, oh, man, oh. Like, that's not, not a very good mum, is it? <laughs> I mean, I used to say at the beginning, Cam, I wish I'd died. I remember saying that to him in Thailand. Really? When you woke up? Yeah. I remember saying it when I was in Bangkok. And I don't even think it sunk in that I would never walk again, which was kind of weird. I don't know why I didn't realise that. When did that sink in? When I got to North Shore, when I got back to Australia. And when the doctor told me so, so bluntly, that no, like you'll never walk again. That's when it really hit. I was like, oh, my gosh. Did you keep waking up and forgetting in the morning? No, no, it was so weird and it still happens now, right? If I have a dream, I'm always running around. I'm always surfing, I'm running along the beach. I'm me, I'm the old me and then when you wake up, you kind of get, oh. you know what I mean? It's so funny because Cam's like, oh, I had the worst dream last night and I'm like, well, we're like opposite. I kind of don't ever really have bad dreams but when I wake up, that's like when the nightmare starts, if that mm. makes sense. Totally. Yeah. You were such an involved mum before. You had three little boys. Yeah. How do you manage your identity as a mother when you've got your boys grieving the loss of their old mother? You don't know who you are yet. How did you parent during that time? Well, I don't know. I thought I was a terrible mum because I wasn't the same mum. Like you said, I was always miserable and I couldn't do anything. I couldn't do like other mums would come pick the kids up and take them to the beach or to the skate park. And I was kind of like, well, that's my job. Like, I should be doing that. So, yeah, you feel you feel like the worst mum in the world. And I did for a very, very long time. What changed? I think actually when I got into the kayaking. And, you know, and then I kind of got on the Australian team and it was kind of like, okay, now I have a purpose and now I have something to get up for. And it was kind of cool for them, you know. I wanted to make them proud, you know. I don't know, it sounds really cheesy, but like wearing the green and gold, it's yeah. kind of cool. Well, because so, it became about what mum can do rather than what mum can't do. Yeah, exactly. That was a huge turning point for me. When did Penguin come along? Actually, Penguin came along pretty early on. Uh, we found her about three months after I got home from hospital, which was kind of perfect timing because, like, you know, I was not in a very good headspace. You know, and especially like living where we do, we can see the beach. And so that just rubbed it in like even more. You know, I kind of hated looking at the beach because I don't know. I know in my past life I would have been down there and surfing and having fun. Is that how you see it now, your past life? Yeah, which is probably pretty bad. But I always say it's the old me and then now the new me. I imagine the temptation would be to imagine that Sam's old life was perfect. Yeah, it was. Well, I thought it was. For me, it was perfect, you know. It was perfect because I was happy and content and had loads of energy and I was lucky, you know. I kind of could do what I wanted to do. You know, I'd go to the gym, I'd be running with my friend, mountain biking, surfing. You were so active. Mm. 
How does not being able to walk and suddenly not being able to have that independence, you're a lot more independent now, but in those first few years, how did it change your relationship with Cam? I actually think it made our relationship stronger, which sounds really weird. I mean, because he's been amazing, like from the day of the accident, he's been there, he's been pushing me, you know, kind of encouraging me to get up out of bed and, you know, go to the gym or do exercise or whatever it may be. So, yeah, I think I'm so lucky, so, so lucky. Are you still able to get mad at him when you need to? <laughs> yeah, I do. If I'm like having a really bad day, like, yeah, I would say like, you know, you just don't get it. Like, I would love for you to be me just for one day to see what it feels like. Like total loss of independence, loss of control, being in pain all the time. And I used to say to Cam, it's almost like you're watching life from the sidelines. You know, that's what it felt like for me. Always watching, but never being able to get involved. I remember that first time I met you and you were wearing a, I think it was a Sassen by t-shirt. And I remember, yeah, yeah. I remember admiring it and you said something really disparaging about your body, about that you felt fat. Yeah. Because you had no ability to tone your stomach muscles. Mm -mm. No, I know. I still have that issue. It's not as bad. It sounds really vain as well. But yeah, it's just gross because like paralyzed from like essentially where your bra strap is. It's like, I'm, I don't know, my tummy looks like I'm pregnant sometimes. I can't bear it. Isn't that interesting? Like not only do you have the body image issues that everybody has, but then you feel guilty because everyone's like, but surely that's the least of your worries. Surely not being able to walk is a bigger problem. But it doesn't no. mean that you're still not a woman. Yeah, I know. I know. I think when I came home I chucked out all my clothes because I'm like, well, I can't wear them, you know, like tight black jeans or whether it be like bodies or my t-shirts I didn't realize how tiny I must have been mm. like like even like Ollie when he was eight he would be wearing my t-shirts I'm like oh my god so yeah just things like that and it is vain but kind of can't help it I can't get over how happy you look Sam so then the second time I met you was probably two years after the accident where you need started kayaking I think yeah and you had started to have more you were just coming back into yourself. You started to have more of a sense of identity. Do you remember that time? Yeah, I think, I mean, at that time, yeah, like I said, I actually did. I had like something to do and something to kind of strive for, you know, with the kayaking. I mean, geez, we'd be like paddling like six times a week and three gym sessions. So it was fun. I was actually having fun. And gave um, my kayak coach, she's just an absolute legend. So, yeah, no, it was fun. And we travel a lot again. We, we would always drive up to Queensland and, you know, up to training camps and, and we were going to Italy. But, yeah, no, it was it was good. So instead of being about, yeah, your sickness, it became about your achievements. Kind of. And goals that you could set. Yeah. Is that what it, you had a sense of purpose? Yeah, totally. That's why I think that's what everybody needs. I mean, if you don't have that, like, it's kind of, well, what is the point of being here? I think everybody needs purpose and, and goals. I'm Mia Friedman, and you're listening to No Filter with Sam Bloom. When did the story of penguins sort of come about as this sort of parallel line to your life and your story and your fame, I guess? (laughs) My fame, hardly. (laughs) Oh, geez. Actually, it was in 2015 because I remember, well, Cam being the photographer, takes like a million photos. And so he was obviously shooting Penguin and the boys. And I used to always say to Cam, don't shoot me. I don't want people to see me in the wheelchair. So no one sort of knew my story. And then we started the Instagram account just for a bit of fun. 
And it was when an ABC journalist saw the um, Instagram account and then wrote an article on it. And that's when it went nuts. And I remember Cam and I just laughing because we were getting messages and requests from like, all over the world to do stories on us. And then a book came out. And then the book came out in 2016. Yep. And Emma Cooper, who is an Australian living in LA, a producer, how did it become a movie? Yeah, so Emma had our book and Emma's best mates with Naomi Watts. And so Emma thought, oh, this might make a really cool film. And so she gave Naomi the book. And Emma said, it's quite funny, Emma said the other night, she was like, oh, I expected Naomi to take like weeks and weeks to kind of get back to her. But she got back to her the next day and said, yep, let's do it. Let's make this into a film. I think it resonated with Naomi because she's got kids herself. And I guess perhaps she put herself in my situation, you know, like how would I react? And so, yeah, that's how it all started. How long has it taken? Because filmmaking and things coming to fruition can take a really long time. Did you get excited? Was it disappointing? Were there ups and downs? No, no, no. We were so lucky. I mean, apparently this has been very fast, you know, the whole process, the screenwriting and actually the finished product. All the producers like Bruna Papandrea Mm. and Emma and Naomi, they're so lovely and they've always made us feel like part of a team. So, no, it's always been fun. What fears did you have about um, because they filmed in your house, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think the only fear I had was them making it Hollywoody and making the ending like, you know, like Naomi's like going, yay, life's great again. I just said to them, I said it from the beginning, I said, I just want it to be real and honest and yeah, and please don't Hollywood it. <laughs> and they kept to that, which I am so, so grateful for. How did they come to shoot in your house? Yeah, it was kind of cool. So they pretty much emptied our whole house and they painted it because our house is white. And they didn't want to shoot on white backgrounds or whatever. And they just wanted it to be moody and a little bit sadder, I guess. But no, it was really cool. I mean, I spent a lot of time on set, which was really fun. What did Naomi want to know about how to live in a wheelchair? What did you teach her? Well, it is actually really hard, which sounds weird. And, and Naomi fell out a few times because you, you just hit a bump and you go flying backwards. Just little things like that, trying to navigate, you know, way over little obstacles or yeah, it's tricky. But I think, I mean, when I first met Naomi, like, I mean, she's such a lovely person. And it kind of like we had this instant connection. I don't know, I just totally trusted her. I guess like me being pretty shy, I wasn't going to meet her and then kind of offload and tell her exactly what was going on in my head. And so I gave her, I used to write things down. And so I gave her my diary, just so then she could understand exactly how I was feeling. Oh, that's very intimate, isn't it? Yeah, I know. But I think that really helped her. I mean, as you can imagine, it was incredibly dark and negative and there was a lot of hate and a lot of, yeah, guilt. Sam, what are some of the things that you can do now that you couldn't do in the first year or two after your accident? uh, Well, I can drive now. (laughs) Um, How did that come about? Did you ever think that would be possible? Yeah, 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 yeah. When I was at rehab, they're kind of like, you know, they teach us how to drive. So I think it took me about a year. It was so weird. You know, you had to go back and essentially learn how to drive again mm-hmm. and do your L's and then go essentially, it wasn't your P's, but it was like going with an instructor. How do you actually do it without being oh, able to use your legs? Um, I've got like around the steering wheel, there's like a ring kind of thing and that's the accelerator. So you can still have your two hands on the steering wheel, which I liked. And then on the side, there's like this little push thing. I don't even know how you explain it. You push it and that's your brake. It's really easy. 
And what did driving mean that you could do again? How did your life change? I imagine that was an incredible freedom. It was huge. It meant I could escape. You know when kids kind of drive you a bit nuts and you want to get away from them and mm-hmm. escape? Uh-huh. I used to go for a run or I'd go for a surf or a mountain bike ride, mm. but I can't do that anymore. So, um, yeah, sometimes I'd just get in the car and drive up to the, the national park, which is near our house where I used to mountain bike and just sit in the car. I mean, it's kind of bittersweet because I'm like, I should have my bike in the back and be going mm. bike riding. But, yeah, it's just nice to escape. You're so active. Are there other sports? I know that you surf now too and you've won massive prizes. Aren't you like the best in the world? Uh, Yeah, two time. Sam? (laughs) I just have to add that. So vain. I love it. No, it's it's incredible. Like you're world champion. Yeah. How do you surf when you can't use your legs? So I've got like a short board. I've got one that's like five foot two. And so I've got like a handle at the front and two fins on the top of the board kind of where your legs are. Um, that's to keep my legs in place. Mm-hmm. And so Cam pushes me on the wave and then I can turn. Like you grab the handle at the front and like the side of the board, like the rail, and that's how you can turn on the waves. And, yeah, and then usually we're, usually we're with another friend and they kind of help me get back out the back. So when you compete, does every yeah. competitor have a support person who? Uh, yes. Well, there's different categories. So the category I'm in or classification is that you have a support person. Mm-hmm. For example, the group underneath me, a lot of them are spinal, but they're sort of paralyzed from the hips down. Mm-hmm. So they've got all their core, they've got their back, so they can paddle kind of like normal. Mm. So they don't need as much support. But can yeah, you swim? Right, yeah, I can tread water. I can swim. It's so awkward though. It's yeah. like not very graceful. So yeah. if you get knocked off your board and you go under a wave or something, can you get yeah. back up and stay at the top of the water yeah I mean if the surf's pretty big I'll usually come off and then I'll because I've got leg rope on I'll just grab my board and kind of hold on to it as a bit of a flotation device and then yeah because I can't dive under like I used to dive you know they are so comfortable growing up at the beach and are so comfortable in the ocean but now it's just a bit scary actually when you had the accident and it must have felt like a hundred doors slammed shut in your face yeah and now it seems like a lot of doors have started to open again. Are there other possibilities, other things that you can see that you might be able to do that you never would have thought you could have done after the accident? Um, I don't know. I'm pretty happy with the surfing. I feel comfortable surfing and competing. I didn't feel comfortable competing with kayaking. I used to be so, so nervous. How come? Oh, well, What's the I difference? Because I had the strength, like in my arms, but I just didn't – I just – Maybe because my arms are super short or something, but I couldn't get the catch in the water. So I could never go fast, not as fast as I wanted to go, put it that way. Mm. And I would be so nervous, you know, sitting there waiting in that little starting block and know you have to go as hard as you can for 200 metres. So at least with the surfing, you know, I can read the waves. I feel comfortable in the ocean and the heats go for like 25 minutes. (laughs) So there's not as much pressure. Do you go surfing with the boys? Yeah, yeah. Well, Noah surfs. So, yeah, that's been so, so much fun. Has your relationship yeah. changed with them? Yeah, they've been amazing. It's definitely changed. I don't know. They're more compassionate, I guess. They're just, they, I guess they're used to this now, our life now. It was hard. Jeez, the first couple of years was so hard for them. God, I remember, like, you know, because I needed their help. I would be, like, yelling out to one of them. And then I'd hear them go, oh, no, you know, I help mum. You know, I helped her this morning. You help her. Oh, my God. Oh. Man, you have no idea how bad that makes you feel. Yeah. And I don't blame them. They were just kids and 
you know, it wasn't their role to help me, but oh man, it made me just want to burst into tears. But, but no, they've changed. They're good kids. When I did win the first world championships, I was so stoked because I wanted to make them proud. Mm. Kind of, and say thank you, and to Cam for putting up with me. Well, they're pretty lucky to have you, frankly. I imagine the adrenaline and the serotonin that you're getting from exercise is something that was massively missing in those first two years, you know, when you said Definitely. you had depression and everything. Did that occur to anyone because you were so active before? Yeah, I mean, like the first year, yeah, I did used to go see a guy in Avalon who was a personal trainer and i got to admit I did always feel much, much better after I'd seen him. Mm. You know, Cam used to go, come on, you got to go, and i be like, no, 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 always thinking of some excuse. And then I'd get there and afterwards it felt so much better. Mm. But that's the same today. I mean, I've got a friend, Mandy, who's a personal trainer and she's just absolute legend. And we train uh, maybe five, six times a week and you do. Exercise just makes you feel so, so much better. Mm. She's really cool. She's pretty blunt. And she'd be like, how are you? And I'd be like, yeah, fine. And she goes, no, you're not. And I'm like, okay, <laughs> okay, I'm having a shit day, whatever. And then we'd box and then we have a laugh. And, yeah, honestly, it just changes your whole mindset. What else gives you joy? What else makes you happy? Uh, watching the boys grow up. Mm. How old yeah, are they now? Oh, they're old. Rubes is almost 19. Noah's 17 and a half and Ollie's 15. So, you know, the older two are driving now and, yeah, no, it's good. I'm so stoked I am here to watch them grow up. Have you still got animals in the house? Yes. We have not. <laughs> we have a baby magpie at the moment. He's so cute. And, yeah, we've had him, gee, for a couple of months, I think. How did but he come to you? Uh, a family found him in Kirkel, just on the northern beaches, and they looked after him for two months and he couldn't fly and his feathers kept snapping and he'd fall over a lot. Oh. So we're not sure if something's wrong with him, but he's so, so cute. And does he come and go from your house? No, because he can't fly <laughs> and he's a little wobbly. He's always just in and out. He sort of does his own thing, comes in, and you know he's hungry. He goes to the fridge and just sort of stands <laughs> yeah, he's very He's so cute. He's got all these little... Kind of a little routine. So Cam puts him to bed and then gets up in the morning and lets him out and he'll go outside and then he'll come up into our bedroom. And he just walks? Yeah, he just walks around. Yeah, and then Cam lifts him up and puts him into bed and you have a cuddle <laughs> and falls asleep. In the he's bed? So, yeah, he's so cute. Sam, what about the poos? Oh, man, I know. There is poo everywhere. Are you just used to it? Yeah. <laughs> what was the premiere like? Was that surreal? Yeah, it was really cool. It's so weird. Like Cam and I are always like, oh, my God, like can you believe that there's a movie about us? Mm. Yeah, it's very weird. Naomi is amazing. Yeah. She nailed it. You know, she doesn't say much. Like she doesn't go around like a crazy person screaming and carry on. Well, because neither do you. No, I know. I know. She's pretty quiet, but it's just that look, mm. that look of pure frustration and anger and sadness. Even Cam and my sister actually, they both go, oh, my God. Naomi does exactly the same look as you. <laughs> she must have been nervous for you to see it for the first time. Yeah, I think she was pretty nervous. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of a big deal. Like, I would be so nervous playing someone and having that person watching me. Watching the story, did you see things about yourself and your relationship and stuff that you hadn't noticed while you were living it? Yeah, I mean, she was pretty determined. Mm. Like, I guess that kind of getting through. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. And I, I think actually it showed the relationship I had with Gay, like my kayak coach, and like kind of how important she was to me, which I knew, but I'm so glad that they showed that in the film. 
It looks like you're wearing your celebrity and the attention well. <laughs> it really does. It's like it's beaming out of your face. You look a lot younger than you did a few years ago. Are you kidding me? Dude, Seriously. Yeah, no, no. You know what? It's been really fun. Like I said to um, Mandy, my trainer, I said, who would have thought in eight years, like paddled for Australia and then had two books and then surf for Australia and now a movie. Life sure is weird. That's how I see it. Do you still have those beautiful dreams? Yeah. Of me running? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Sending you so much love, my friend. It's just so Thank great you. to touch base and see you just beaming, like yeah, beaming okay. with health, beaming with joy. Yeah, and no, I'm in a much better headspace. You look proud. No, I don't know about You should, proud. Be, no, I'm no, but you look like you're not kind of, yeah, you just, you're comfortable in your skin again. Yeah, yeah, a lot more than when I met you, that's for sure. Yeah. Congratulations. Thank you, Mia. Awesome to see you too. So good to see you. I can't wait to see the film. I hope you enjoyed that. I could see Sam when I was doing the interview on Zoom and I can't tell you the difference that I saw. I hope that came across in her voice. I think it did. I've listened to the old interview again and I listened back to this interview and it's like a different person. It's like the light is back in her eyes like the clouds have parted. So as I said, if you want to hear more of Sam, go and listen to my first interview with her and Cam. You'll get to hear her husband Cam on that as well. Just follow the link in the show notes or just scroll back one episode in your feed. If you liked this podcast and you don't already subscribe, please do. I get so many beautiful messages from you saying how much you love the show. If I can ask for one thing in return, it's that you rate and review it. That really, really helps other people find the show. So go along to the Apple Store or the Google Play Store, leave a review and leave a rating. This episode was produced by Mel Zauer. The executive producer of No Filter is Eliza Ratliff and I'm Mia Friedman. You can find us not on Facebook but on mamamia.com.au. And if you're after something else to listen to, why not try this episode of True Crime Conversations? It is our true crime podcast and it's about the case of Alice Mitchell, a woman who in the early 90s was tried over the death of a baby in her care. But it was soon discovered that, in fact, many more had died. Alice Mitchell had a register which she was supposed to keep, which recorded when she received a child and when the child left her and if the child had died. But she'd been registered since 1901 but didn't start recording until 1902 and then Her records were very patchy up to 1904, and then she stopped recording anything at all. What did it look like in terms of the death rate of some of those who had been in her care? Well, from what he could discover, she'd had 43 children in her care in the previous six years, and 37 of those had died. Mamma Mia acknowledges the traditional owners of the land we have recorded this podcast on, the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation. We pay our respects to their elders, past and present, and extend that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander cultures.